Well, good morning, Taylors. Great to see you today. So grateful for this incredible time of worship, time of prayer, time of corporately coming together to celebrate who we are in Christ Jesus. And hopefully to allow God to continue that process of transformation in us so that we may go out to be a transformational people in our community, our nation, and among the nations. We are in a mini-series of messages dealing with the topic of risk. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, you remember we started by looking at what is commonly referred to as Jesus' parable of the talents. And we saw in that story that the master of those servants, like our master God, expects us to be willing to risk everything, all that we have and all that we are, for the sake of His kingdom. And we learned the lesson that if we're not willing to risk anything, then we really put at risk everything. And we will never see God do in us, with us, and through us what He longs to do. The next Last week, we looked at Luke chapter 5, the story of Simon Peter. Jesus asked him to push out a little way from shore, which he was glad to do. But then Jesus said, I need you to push out into the deep water. I need you to do something you've never done before. And I need you to let me show you what I can do with a life that is fully yielded to me. And Peter risked everything in order to do that. This morning, we're coming to look at the story of Noah and the flood as we find it in Genesis chapter 6 and chapter 7. Now, the story of Noah is a story that is familiar to all of us. But you know, in that very familiarity, there is a danger. The danger is that we know this story so well that we lose sight of the fact that what Noah did in obeying God and building the ark went so far beyond the boundaries of human rationale and reasoning that it was almost a mind-numbing kind of thing that he did. He went so far beyond the normal human way of thinking in doing this. In fact, here's the truth. Unless you know God like Noah knew God, and unless you have the kind of spiritual sensitivity that Noah had, let me tell you, you would, you, you would be a fool to do what Noah did. And he did it by himself. Scripture tells us that out of all the people on the face of the earth, only Noah stood out as someone who had a real heart and a passion to follow hard after God. So this is an incredible story. So when Noah did what he did, he was taking a lot of risks. He risked being misunderstood and maligned. He risked being ridiculed. He risked being isolated. I'm sure people laughed at him. I'm sure they talked about him, spread rumors about this crazy guy building a boat in the middle of nowhere. But Noah accepted those risks, and he stood firm. And because we know the story, we know that in the end, everybody else was proven wrong, and Noah was proven right. So this morning, we're using the story of Noah and the flood sort of as our template to talk about the risk 
of standing alone. And I want to just jump in here with you this morning because i got a lot to say in a short time. Here's lesson number one. If you have your message guide, you follow along and fill in the blanks. Here's the deal. If I'm going to be able to embrace risk and stand alone, there must be an unswerving commitment in my walk. I must have an unswerving commitment in my walk with God. If you look at Genesis chapter 6, verse 9 there, it tells us that Noah was a righteous man, that he was blameless in his generation. And then there's this little phrase that says, and Noah walked with God. Did you know that one of God's basic requirements for his people, for you and for me, is that we walk with him This is what God is looking for in our relationship with Him. There is a verse. I wish I'd put it in your message, God. I didn't, but you might want to jot it down. It's Micah chapter 6, verse 8, and it says this. God has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? Walking with God is not something that is reserved for a select few. We hear, oh, he really walks with God or she really walks with God. This is what God desires for every one of his children, that we walk with him. And there's got to be a commitment to that walk with God if we're going to be able to embrace risk as the people of God and we're going to be able to stand for God even when We have to stand alone. So what does it mean to walk with God? Let me run through several things with you quickly this morning. Number one, to walk with God means that I have come to a point of agreement with God. I've come to a point of agreement with God. Amos 3.3, look at this verse. It asks a question. Do two walk together unless they have what? Agreed to do so. In other words, if, if, if I want to walk with God, I have to agree with God. I have to agree with his terms. I have to agree with his conditions. I have to agree with God's way of doing things. I have to come to a place in my life where I say, God, any restrictions that I have put up toward you, any hesitancy that I might have had about your absolute control over my life, any debate I may have had with you, any argument I might have had with you, about your will. All that is over, God. I am now in agreement with your word. I am now in agreement with your will. God, I am now in agreement with your way for my life. That's what it means to walk with God. Nothing less than total agreement with him. So if I want to walk with God, if you want to walk with God this morning, it means I've got to agree with him. You've got to agree with him. And this is, this is an important thing to understand because I've got to go God's way. I've got to walk in God's direction because God is not going to change his terms. God is not going to change his requirements. Some of us say, God, I want to walk with you. And by the way, God, I'm going this way. <laughs> that doesn't work. God is not going to change directions to walk with you. You've got to change directions if you want to walk with him. You've got to agree with his terms. That means you can't pick and choose which of his commands you're going to obey and which ones you're going to ignore. 
It means you can't decide under which circumstances you're going to follow God's will and under which circumstances you're going to follow your own will. That doesn't work. And the reason why many of us cannot honestly say that we're walking with God, the reason why we cannot honestly say that is because we're not really willing to agree with God about His absolute authority over every area and arena of our lives. We would like to walk with God, but we want to do it on our terms. doesn't work that way. You'll, you'll never walk with God until you come to this place of absolute agreement with God about everything. That's number one. To walk with God means I have to come to a point of agreement with God. Number two, to walk with God means that I have adopted a new attitude toward God. I've adopted a new attitude toward God. In Scripture, this, this idea of walking with God is used interchangeably with the idea of pleasing God. If you look there at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1, it says, For you have received instruction from us as to how you ought to walk and please God. To walk with God means that your life pleases God. That was the case with Noah. Genesis chapter 6, verse 8 tells us that Noah pleased God. The Lord. To walk with God means that you please God. It means your life pleases God. It means the way you talk pleases God. It means your behavior pleases God. It means the way you interact with other people pleases God. It means the kind of decisions you make and the things you get involved in. All of those things please God. That's what it means to walk with God. It means everything in your life is pleasing to him. And that's why if you're serious about walking with God, I'm telling you that you've got to be willing to change your attitude. You've got to be willing to change your way of thinking because our natural tendency in life is to please who? Ourselves, right? Your natural tendency, my natural tendency is to want to please ourselves. Isn't that right? Sure. Let's be honest about that this morning. Our natural inclination is to want to please ourselves. But if you want to walk with God, you've got to change that way of thinking so that the greatest passion of your life is to please Him. And that's why I believe every morning when you get up, I try to do this every morning when I get up. I say a prayer that goes something like this, God, today, more than anything else in my life, God, today, I want to please you. I want to please, please you in my actions. I want to please you in my attitudes. I want to please you, please you in my lifestyle. There may be a thousand other things pulling at me today, God. There may be a, a thousand pressures, a thousand temptations. But what I want today, God, more than anything else, is to know your smile. I want to hear your applause. I want to know, God, that I have your approval more than anything else. I want my life, my words, my thoughts, my actions today, God, to please you. I may not please anybody else, but today, God, I want to live to please you. That's what it means to walk with God. Nothing less than that. I've come to a point of agreement with God. I, I've adopted a new attitude toward God. 
Thirdly, to walk with God means that, that I've made this commitment for the long haul, for the long term. See, walking with God is not something you can do occasionally. It's not something you can do periodically. It's not something you can do sporadically. You can't say, okay, God, I'm going to walk with you here, but you know, I'm, I'm not going to walk with you there. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to please you in this situation, God, but I, I'm going to please myself in this other situation. No, you, you, you can't say that. If you want to walk with God, you've got to be consistent in your agreement with God, and you've got to be consistent in your attitude toward God for the long haul all the time. Genesis chapter 7, verse 6, I love this, says that Noah was how old when the flood came? Can you imagine? 600 years old. 600 years of agreeing with God. 600 years of wanting to please God more than pleasing Himself. Day in and day out. Week in and week out. Month in and month out. Year in and year out. Century in and century out. This is an incredible testimony. 600 years. How about you? I want to tell you something. It, it, it is very easy for us to agree with God in here this morning, right? Preacher, I agree. God, I agree with you. It is very easy in here this morning for the attitude of our heart to say, God, I want to please you today. Okay? But the true measure of your walk with God is not what happens in here. Do you understand that? It's what happens out there, in your home, in your school, in your place of business, in your neighborhood, with the people you hang out with. If you really want to walk with God, you've got to make the commitment. You're going to do that all the time, everywhere. It never stops. You don't get to stop. You don't get to check out on agreeing with God. You don't get to check out on wanting to please God. This is for the long haul. This is for the long term. In every situation, in every circumstance you can possibly think of, with whatever group you may be hanging out with, you make this commitment all the time for the long term. Finally, walking with God means I'm going to stand up for God even when I'm standing alone. This is the whole point of what I'm wanting you to see this morning. This is the whole point of Noah's story you look at Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 8, it says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was evil continuously. Everywhere God looked, he saw godlessness. He saw evil. He saw people living for themselves. Then it says this, But Noah, one single guy, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Can I tell you what I hear so many times as a pastor? I, I hear people, and this isn't just, you know, I think sometimes we tend to think that our younger generations, our students have this battle more than anybody else know. This is generation-wide. I hear people saying, you know, preacher, it's, it's too hard for me to walk with God. It's too hard for me to agree with God all the time. It's too hard for me to live a life that genuinely chases after pleasing God 
all the time. It's too hard for me to go against this culture. It's too hard for me to be that kind of Christian. Do you realize Scripture says God looked down upon the earth and he saw evil and he saw corruption everywhere? There was only Noah. You think you got it bad? In Noah's day, he was the only one. Look around you this morning. Look at the people seated around you this morning who are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Who are here to pray for you. Who are here to encourage you. Who are here to walk this walk with you. You've got a place to come into this morning as we did this morning where we can worship God and be encouraged in our walk and find other people who will walk with us. Can I, can I just tell you something this morning, as, not, not as a preacher, but as a Christian? I get sick and tired of hearing the excuses as to why we can't do this thing that God's called us to do. I just, I get sick of hearing it, you know? Oh, well, people will make fun of me, preacher. They're going to laugh at me. Somebody's going to misunderstand me. I'm not going to have any friends. This is unreasonable. It's unfair. Noah was the only one in his entire generation. And he stood up, even when it meant standing alone. If you really want to walk with God, my friend, it means... You're going to have to agree with God, and it means you're going to have to please God, and it means sometimes you're going to have to do it alone. You're going to have to do it alone in that office. You're going to have to do it alone in that school hallway. You're going to have to do it alone among your peers. You're going to have to do it alone in your family. You may even have to do it alone in your own church. So we got to get this down. We have got to get this down. If we're going to be able to embrace risk and, and we're going to be able to stand alone when we have to stand alone, we're going to have to be able to maintain this unswerving commitment in our walk, agreeing with God, pleasing God, doing it for the long haul, doing it even when we have to stand alone. Now, do I need to make that any clearer? Have we, have we got that one? Okay. Blank, blank stares. Have we, <laughs> have we got this one? Okay. Some, this is some hard stuff, right? This is, this, is, this is the demand. This is what it means to follow hard after Christ. Sometimes you're going to have to stand alone in agreeing with God and pleasing God and doing it in all places at all times. Well, let's look at a second thing this morning. If I'm going to be able to embrace risk and stand alone, there's, there's got to be not only this unswerving commitment in my walk, but there's got to be this unyielding conformity to God's Word. An unyielding conformity to God's Word. Look at, look at a few verses here. Genesis 6, 13, 22. And God said to Noah, Make yourself an ark. And Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Genesis chapter 7 verse 5 says much the same thing. And Noah did all that the Lord 
had commanded him. There was an unyielding conformity to the word of God in Noah's life. He, he, he did what God told him to do. So let's just ask a basic question here. Why did, God, why did Noah build the ark? Why did he build the ark? You Come on, you can fill in the blanks. Why did, why did Noah build the ark? Because what? Straight A's. God told him to. Absolutely, he built it because God told him to. Let me tell you, this wasn't on Noah's agenda. He wasn't thinking ever since, since he was a little boy that this is what he was going to do. You know, Daddy, when I grow up, I want to be the first ark builder. <laughs> no. This came out of nowhere. Nobody had heard of anything like this before. And because we're so familiar with this story, again, sometimes we fail to grasp the incredible amount of faith and risk that was before Noah when he did this. So let me walk through some things with you here very quickly to, to just show you some things here. How much faith did it take for, for Noah to conform his life to God's Word and build this ark? I'm going to go through them quickly this morning. Number one, you need to realize Noah wasn't a sailor. Neither was he a shipbuilder. Noah lived in a part of the world known as Mesopotamia. Miles and miles from any ocean. It's likely he'd never even seen a sailboat in his life. Certainly never built a boat. And certainly not one the size of which God was telling him to build. That's the thing number two. This boat was huge. Nobody had ever heard of, of a boat this big. You can read the dimensions of it there in, in Genesis chapter 16. I'll translate them for you. Its length was 450 feet. Its width was 75 feet. Its height was 45 feet. That's larger in length than one and a half football fields. Higher than a four-story building. It had three decks with a total area of over 96,000 uh, feet. Uh, its volume was almost a million and a half cubic feet. It, it, it these dimensions put the ark in the category of some of the large ocean-going vessels of today. But you need to understand this. It had no navigation system, no anchor, no steering, no mast, no rudder, no sails, no means of navigation whatsoever. And God picked Noah, a landlubber who had never built a boat in his life, to build the biggest ship the world has ever seen. In fact, from our best research, it wasn't until 1858 that a ship was actually built that was larger, in length anyway, than the ark. So this was a tremendous thing God was asking Noah to do. Thirdly, it took a long time to build this boat, we don't know exactly how long it took, but, but I've got some verses down there for you, and we can kind of look at them and, and gauge about how long it took Noah. We know that he was 500 years old, Scripture says, when, when Noah had his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And then it says it was six, he was 600 years old when the flood came upon the earth, and at that time his sons were old enough to have wives. So if the oldest one was, say, 25 and was married, then that means, if you do the math, Noah had spent at least 75 years building this ark. I can't imagine spending five years or 10 or 20 or 30. But 75 years building this ark. 
Can you imagine the ridicule that Noah must have faced over that time? Nothing was happening. Nobody was believing him. The only, the only people who benefited from what Noah was doing was his own family, his three sons, their wives, and his own wife. And that was it. This, this was an incredible thing that God had called Noah to do. And he, and he was doing it for the long haul. 75 years faithfully doing this. And then a fourth thing here that, I, I don't know, this, this has always tickled me. Noah had to fill this ark up with animals. Now again, we know the story, but think about what a strange command this was from God. Sure, Noah was asking himself, well, wait a minute, how in the world am I going to pull this off? And how are all these animals going to live together? I mean, you got dogs and cats here. You got lions and lambs. You got elephants and mice. <laughs> you got snakes and me. I don't like any of this. And have you ever thought about this? Who in the world was going to keep this floating zoo clean? They were going to be in the ark for almost. A year. This was an incredible thing that God was asking Noah to do. And all he had to go on was God's Word and a promise. Noah, it's going to rain. It's going to rain. And that brings me to the fifth and the final thing I would say about what Noah did. And that is Noah had probably never seen or even heard of rain. He didn't know what rain was. Go back to Genesis chapter 2, look at these verses. It tells us that up to this time, the ground had been watered by these underground streams that came up from the earth. God had his own sort of underground irrigation system so that there wasn't any need for rain. So when God said, Noah, it's going to rain, Noah didn't even know what God was talking about. It's like if I said to you, okay, guys, 3 o'clock this afternoon, I want you to walk outside and look up at the sky. It's going to fuzzy wuzzle. What? I mean, preacher, that, that doesn't even make any sense. What in the world are you talking about? See, that's what Noah was dealing with here. If you look at Hebrews eleven seven, it's very clear. It says, by faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet Seen. None of what was about to happen had ever happened before. And so again, Noah was just simply responding to God's Word. So here's the issue. Here's the issue for, for, for me. It's the issue for Noah. It's the issue for you and me this morning as well. It's the question we've got to answer, and it's this. Is God's Word true? And am I going to take it seriously? Again, if you look at Hebrews eleven seven, 7, it says, By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark. Now, don't misunderstand that. Noah didn't build the ark because he was afraid. That word fear means to take something seriously. Noah did what he did because he treated what God had to say to him with seriousness. When God said, Noah, build an ark, Noah didn't need to to debate it. He didn't need to analyze it. He didn't need to, to weigh the pros and cons. He just needed to do it. 
And so when God said do it, Noah immediately brought his life into conformity with the Word of God, and he obeyed. So here's the question for you this morning. Here's the question for me this morning. Fill in the blank. What ark is God calling you to build this morning? What ark is God calling you to build? He's calling you to build one. He's calling me to build one. What seemingly ridiculous thing has God called you to do? What impossible thing has God called you to do? What really, really hard thing is God calling you to do? What thing that other people don't understand and maybe you don't even fully understand? What is God asking you to do? What unbelievable command this morning is He calling you to follow through on? What thing is it that you think you can't do, shouldn't do, don't want to do, and other people will think you're a fool if you do it? See, that's an ark. What thing like that is God calling you to do? Let me let you in on a secret this morning. You ready for it? Here it is. Every single Christian in this room this morning has an ark to build. Every single one of you has an ark to build. You see, we, we read the story about Noah and we think, wow, great story, but it doesn't have anything to do with me. Wrong. It has everything to do with you. Do you know the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6 wrote, speaking of all these things that took place in the Old Testament, all these stories that we have, he said, God recorded all these things in His Word. Now they serve as types. They serve as pictures. That's another word of saying these are examples for you. These are, these are lessons that you need to learn so that you don't make the same kind of mistakes that people back then made. So you know how God expects you to live, and God expects you and me to be just like Noah. And that means that every one of you who names the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior of life, every single one of you this morning has an ark that God wants you to build. Now, some of you aren't building it, But you've got one. God's told you. He's warned you. He's instructed you. His word has spoken to you. But you don't like it. You don't want to do it. Doesn't fit your agenda. Doesn't go along with your plans. So you won't do it. You won't conform to the Word of God in your behavior. You won't conform to the Word of God in your relationships. You won't conform to the Word of God in the way that you talk, in the decisions that you make, in the places that you go, in the things you're getting involved in, in your finances, in your decision-making, in your prioritizing, in the circumstances you're dealing with. God's given you a Word, my friend, but you won't follow it because you can't see how it's going to work out. It doesn't make sense to you. You've never done it that way before. It's too hard. It's too costly. You name the excuse. Let me make you a solemn promise this morning. I can make this promise to you with 100% assurance. You ready? There's a flood coming. I promise you there is a flood coming. There's a trial. There's a test. 
Something is going to rise up and it's going to challenge your faith. And it's going to measure your commitment to God. And my friend, the only way you're going to be able to come through that test and not be swept away, the only way you're going to be able to stand, even if it means you've got to stand alone, is to determine right now that you're going to be absolutely unyielding in your conformity to God's Word, in your conformity to Him, in your obedience to the Word of God in every area, in every arena of your life, everywhere, all the time, in every circumstance, no matter how hard, no matter how costly. Finally, if I'm going to be able to embrace risk and stand alone, not only must there be this unswerving commitment in my walk with God, not only must there be this unyielding conformity to the Word of God, but there must be an unapologetic confrontation with the world. Now, we don't, we're not going to like this. This may be the hardest thing of all. But if I'm going to be able to embrace risk and stand alone, there must be an unapologetic confrontation with the world. Hebrews 11.7 says, By faith Noah condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Now that word condemned means to rebuke something. It means to confront something. It means to stand against something. It means to pronounce judgment on something. It Really, literally, it means to take a light in a dark place and shine it on something so that it reveals what it really is. See, that's what Noah did. When he walked with God, when he lived his life in conformity to the Word of God, he was shining the light of God on the spiritual darkness and the spiritual evil and the corruption that was all around him. You need to notice something about uh, Noah. Noah was a preacher. Did you know that? He was a preacher. 2 Peter 2.5 says, God did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but he protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness. Noah was a preacher. You know what his sermon was? <laughs> his sermon was his life. His sermon was his life. Everything that Noah did every time he chopped down a tree, every time he sawed out a plank, every time he hammered in a nail. He was preaching a sermon. And that sermon had a single message. God is real. Judgment is coming. Get ready. There's not much time left. You need to be walking with God. You need to live your life continually pleasing God. You need to be conforming your life to the, to the Word of God if you want to be saved. you got to get in this boat. I'll tell you something this morning that also that you may not know. You may not like it either. If you're a Christian, you're a preacher. Did you know that? If you're a Christian, 
You're a preacher. Every one of you here today who names the name of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, you're a preacher. And you're preaching a sermon with your life every single day. And I can promise you, what you preach with your life out there Monday through Saturday will have a far greater impact than anything I will preach from here on a Sunday. Far greater impact. You are preaching a message with your life. And the question you need to ask yourself this morning is, is this message getting out? Is it getting out? When, when I go to work, when I go to school, when I make my decisions, when I relate to other people, when I do the things that I do, is my life proclaiming a message to the world that says, hey, Jesus is real. And His Word is true. And it makes a difference. Does your life preach that kind of message to the ungodliness of this age? Or, or, or does it preach unconcern? Does it preach compromise? Or does it worse, does it preach acceptance? I'll just do what everybody else does. Listen, when people look at you, when they listen to you, when they observe your life, are they challenged? Are they convicted? Or are they just not impacted at all? See, if you're going to embrace risk and, and, and you're going to be able to stand alone, there, there's got to be this confrontation with the world. It doesn't mean we're confrontational. It doesn't mean that we go out trying to stir up trouble, but it does mean we're not afraid to stand for what is true. And we're not going to compromise and we're not going to give in. And we're going to let the light of Christ in us shine His light into the darkness all around us. And we're going to proclaim to people who desperately need to hear that Christ is real. Judgment's coming. You need to get right with God. You need to, you need to come to Christ if you want to be saved. That's our task. And it's not easy. But we've got to embrace it for the sake of our communities, for the sake of our families, for the sake of our nation, for the sake of the nations. We've got to embrace the risk of standing alone, if that's what it takes, to be the kind of witness that Noah was for his generation. 75 years. <laughs> 75 years, never flinching. Some of us have a hard time making it 75 minutes. You know, preacher, hurry up. You're supposed to be out of here at 11.45. That's your 75 minutes. <laughs> Just saying. I'm done. Let's pray. Father, We come as we always do, praying that this time has been significant. We have not just been marking time here this morning, but we have been allowing you through your Spirit and through your Word to shape us more and more into the image of Christ. It is not easy to stand alone. 
We face a lot of risks, ridicule, misunderstanding, being labeled, talked about, laughed at, isolated. But just as that generation so long ago needed a Noah, oh God, so does our generation desperately need scores and hundreds and thousands of Noahs who will walk out of places of worship this morning and into the world with a commitment, unswerving commitment to walk with you to agree with you, to please you, to do it for the long term, to do it even when we have to stand alone. With an unyielding commitment to conform our lives to your word in every area and arena. Being willing even to confront the spiritual forces of evil in the world around us, to shine the light of the gospel into the darkness and reveal it for what it is. It's not easy, it's not comfortable, it's not safe, it's not preferable. This is what you've called us to do. This is the people you've called us to be. Risk takers. If we never risk anything, we really do risk everything. So God, take us this morning do what you want to do in this time. It's the prayer that we pray in Jesus' name. Would you join me in standing? We're going to sing this morning. This is my desire, Lord, to honor you with all my heart. I worship you, Lord. I give you everything. Would you say that this morning? Would you be willing to stand, even if it means standing alone? If you don't know Christ this morning, you've never invited Him into your heart. You've never in a personal, life-changing way allowed Him to transform your life. Would you come this morning and just say, I need Christ. Maybe I, I don't understand exactly what's involved. Listen, we'll take as much time as we need to with you this morning after everybody else has left to explain the greatest news to you you'll ever hear. Maybe you need a church home and a church family. Maybe you need to come at the point of this message. These altars are open. This is your opportunity right now. As Kevin and the praise team leads us, would you come?